Welcome to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app for both iOS and Android devices by searching for The Church at Bushland. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know by emailing us at media at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. There's a few more of you this service than the last one. Last service wasn't very rowdy, so I'm gonna encourage you to be, all right? So, <clears throat> my name is Trent, and my sweet wife, Brandy, gave the Mother's Day message a little bit ago, and so, <clears throat> if you didn't know we were connected, I know what you're thinking right now, and that is, what is that sweet, beautiful woman doing with a guy like me, all right? <laughs> In my own defense, I used to be better looking, okay? When we got married, I had thick, wavy hair, and I walked by a mirror, and I kinda did one of those things, you know? That's why God took it. <laughs> so, for you young guys, don't be too prideful in your hair. Well, good morning. Today is Father's Day, and you know, I wanted to talk about just the importance of daddies. You know, fathers have been so marginalized in modern society, and you can't go anywhere or look anywhere out there in the world where they don't make fun of, tease, or ridicule fathers, right? So when I was a kid growing up, the shows I loved watching, you know, Andy Griffith, The Bonanza, I loved watching The Cosby Show, and these were all really good role models in regards to fathers, but as I began to, you know, get a little older, the fathers got dumber and dumber and dumber to the point where, you know, in these sitcoms, the dad can barely brush his teeth unless his wife tells him how to, you know? And so I, it really bothered me. <clears throat> so this is something that I've studied for a while, and there's a book that... I'm gonna re, you know, tell you about here in a minute, but I thought the first thing we would do is look at some statistics. And so I took all of these numbers from government websites, you know, because they're very reliable. And I know that nobody could argue with me in regards to these, so I wanna go ahead and talk about some of these. 63% of all suicides are from fatherless homes. That's from the U.S. Department of Health, and that's five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients that are currently receiving treatment are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison are from fatherless homes. You know, there's that, that number's actually larger. Whenever they would go and they were doing research in regards to these things, they would say, okay, well, was there a father in your house? If they just said no, then that's how they did it. But there's another number that attributes to this, and that is if they, the father was there, but he was like physically in the house, but he was not present. He was not engaged in the child's life, or maybe he was abusive. So these numbers, even by the government statistics, show us the importance of a father in a child's life. Now, I don't want to, you know, this doesn't mitigate that massive importance that mamas play, right? Marriage is God's design. He created us to be married and to have children, to go forth and be fruitful and multiply. And those, those mamas, you know, when we're kids and we scuff our knee, even still, when I scuff my knee, I want mama, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so 
But, but whenever there's something tough going on and we know that we gotta fight the world, who do we want in our corner? We want dad. We want dad fighting by our side. Now, I know that I'm gonna share some negative stuff here for a minute, okay? But I wanna go ahead and say this before I go any further. There's good news. And we have a 100% chance of victory and success because we serve the Father. And the Father wants to be in every single one of our lives. So as I share some of these numbers, it's gonna get better. So how did we get here? Well, I'm gonna mention a couple of words that can get me in trouble, okay? So just sit in your seat for a minute. But one of the, what the enemy has to do, if he wants to attack the child, he first has to remove the protection in the head of the house, right? So what needs to happen is division needs to come into the home to create separation. There's actually a model in a playbook that the enemy uses to do this. But just, and there's other things other than these two words I'm about to mention, but misogyny, male chauvinism, I, I watched, uh, I, know my, I know families where I've watched this and the daughters that have grown up under a chauvinistic father and it's not good. And so those daughters, the pendulum swings and they become feminists and then guess what? The, the fruit is exactly the same because what happens is it's the same spirit, it's two sides of the same coin. And that's not how God designed us. God created us equal. He created us equal in his image. There's a, a book called Family and Civilization. It was released, it was written about 1946. It's gonna sound very prophetic here in a minute. His name was Carl Zimmerman, and he was a sociology uh, professor in Harvard. How many of you know that Harvard and all the Ivy League schools were actually created to be theological centers, to worship and to praise and to proclaim the name of God? And what happened was, is that the secular world began to come in. They didn't even fight that hard. And so what did they do? They said, I don't wanna listen to y'all. We're gonna go start our own thing. And guess what happens? The absence, when we no longer fight back, the enemy comes in and takes over. So I wanna go ahead and say this right now, that it is important now more than ever before for us to stand our ground, to fight the enemy and to fight for our families. But what there are, there's basically four different phases of the family. And I'm gonna talk about the fourth one, the atomistic family. There was a, a Catholic bishop. He lived from 340 to 397. His name was St. Ambrose, and he was from Milan. And so he was watching the demise and the fall of the Roman Empire. And he saw the, just the deplorable environment that was created, especially inside of these homes, and he had compassion for the children. He said, what is going on here? And he began to write something down. And this was actually captured in the life and times of St. Ambrose. And I'm gonna read this, it's kind of, it's a little bit, you know, dark, but just bear with me. Women are in a hurry to wean their children. If they be rich, the scorn to suckle them. Poor women expose their children. Expose basically means throw them out, get rid of them, throw them in the streets. And if found, refuse to take them back. The rich, rather than see their fortune divided, use murderous juices to kill the fetus within the womb. Men have not the affection of crows for the little ones. The first time I read that, it, it really burdened my heart because I see so many parallels as to what's going on in modern society today, right? Well, <clears throat> I know it's dark. It's kind of sad. I see a lot of frowning faces. It's going to get better, but just I want to talk about how, we, first we have to know what's going on before we can attack it. So in this book, The Family and Civilization, there's really 11 phases. I'm going to mention four of them today, but the first of these is the rapid cause or is the rapid rise an easy, no cause or faultless divorce? You know that in the United States, there wasn't any legislation for a no fault divorce until 1969. And it was signed into legislation by none other than Ronald Reagan in California when he was governor. He would go on to say that it was the biggest mistake of his 
political career. In fact, it burdened him till the day that he died. Number two, decreased children, population decay, and increased public disrespect for parents and parenthood. Well, we can see this over the last 50, 60 years, right? 70 years. So when I look back uh, to my grandparents' generation, it wasn't uncommon for them to have, you know, have families of eight, 10, 12 kids, right? Um, I mean, and so it was, there were big families. My grandfather, he had aunts and uncles younger than him, you know? So that's not totally, it's almost, I have a little brother. So first of all, I'll tell you this. We do have five children, four girls, one boy. So pray for me and my son. Lots of words in our house. But I come also from a large family. I have a sister that's six years older than me. And my youngest little brother is 26 years younger than me. He's only two years older than our oldest child. And it's a really neat dynamic. It's something that you don't see very often in society anymore. The children are no longer appreciated. And you begin to see the decline of populations. Do you realize that in the world, there are several nations that the population decline is, is, is so far gone that they're not even sure over the next 100 years if some of these countries will have any natives left? Number three, the elimination of the real meaning of marriage ceremony. That's something that we can relate to. You know, over the last 10 years, five years especially, we've seen that marriage is no longer seen as sacred. But whatever just you want to do, right? If I think this is a cool-looking two-by-four and I'm in love with it, I can marry it. It really has been demoralized and tried to be denigrated to that point. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to say that there's no value, there's no meaning, there's no purpose in family. A little bit ago, I, I kind of glossed over one thing about the atomistic family. And that is the atomistic family is when you get to a certain point in society where the individual is largely freed from the family. In other words, it's no longer about family. It's no longer about seeing the other people's needs and being in it together. It's about what are my needs. I wanna do what I wanna do, get out of my way. If you're in my way, I'm gonna run you over. And that's what the atomistic family has a tendency to look like. I'm gonna go ahead and skip to number 11, the straw that breaks the camel's back. The common acceptance of all forms of sexual perversion. You know, <clears throat> it is everywhere. And it comes in from every place. And I'll speak more to that in a minute. But I don't think I need to say anything else. So the bottom line is that the... The role of the father is so important that we redefine it and put it back where the fatherhood belongs. And that is a valuable, important person in the lives of our children. So what do we do? First 11, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, you know, I love this little image of the daddy and the little boy. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Peter, sorry, not Peter, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. And that, as daddies, couldn't be a more simple way to put it. Imitate me as I imitate the Father. I remember one time, so we, <clears throat> my little boy, he and I were walking. He couldn't have been very old, four years old. And we're walking along, and we get wherever we're going. And so our oldest daughter, she said to my wife, she said to Brandy, she goes, he walks like a daddy. You know, and that was the biggest compliment that I probably could have ever been given because what is he doing? He's imitating me. And I love that. You know, how many of you, you know, have some young children in the house? You remember, you know, whenever they, you saw that child for the first time? I remember very clearly when Brandy and I had our first daughter. Pretty sure that was the last time we were ever alone, <laughs> you know? 
Uh, anyway, it was a beautiful day. And after uh, a, a, you know, several days, they said, okay, y'all can go home. And I'm like, with the kid? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't know anything, right? But they knew something I didn't, and that was that we'd get it figured out. So I'm gonna talk about three points um, and about just, just fatherhood and parenting in general that are so important. The first of those is be present. Be present. I, if you don't know what I do for a living, I'm in technology. I know I look like a cop, okay? But uh, I actually am a computer geek. And I go and I also teach, I have a, a ministry. We go and we teach parents how to, you know, have technology in the home safely because it's just so, it's just honestly a weapon anymore. And the one thing that when I go and I speak to kids, I tell them it's never been harder in the history of the world to be a kid, a teenager, a young adult than it is right now. Now, I don't know if it's ever been received by any of the teenagers, but I also say it's never been harder to be a parent either. I don't know that they care. But it is important that we understand that there's a, there's a spiritual battle. There's a fight for the hearts of our children. In Matthew 5, 16, in the same, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When I was, I think I was still in college, there was a family friend that I ran into and he said, hey, we're having a barbecue. Why don't you come on over? I said, okay, great. And so when I show up, they have three young daughters and I mean, this is a party. I mean, honestly, what was going on? These children shouldn't have actually been there. And when I looked in their eyes, all I could see, and just for the record, I know I'm fixing to sound like a really good guy. I was a very immoral young man. I was an idiot, okay? Some would argue I still am. But, you know, the thing that I saw these little girls, and the one thing I saw in their eyes was, see me. I wanna be seen. And so instead of being a part of the barbecue, I sat on the ground and I played dolls for a couple of hours. And sadly, what you would expect of these little girls as they grew up and matured happened because the parents were not actively present and engaged in their life. Y'all are powerful. Parents are powerful. The, the voice of a father, but more importantly, the father is so, so powerful. And if we're not in their lives, somebody else will be. There are literally millions of voices screaming for the attention of our children, and they want to capture their heart, and not for anything good. They want to capture their heart for their own intents and purposes. So we've got to be the closest and the loudest voice in their life. Brandy and I, um, a number of years back, we started teaching a parenting class at Hope Choice. And when we started, it was kind of a mix. It was young parents and so forth, but the curriculum we were teaching began to not be very applicable because it almost is 100% CPS cases now. So Brandy had the courage and she said, hey, we need to rewrite this curriculum and we jumped in and we did. Tailored more for this, but here's what we see inside of all of these CPS cases and that is they're only imitating that which has been modeled for them. You know what's really sad is that very few children in these cases ever go back to their parents. And you know what one of the main reasons is? These parents don't think they have the value or that they're good enough to be the parents of that child. And that is a lie, straight from the pit of hell. Straight from the pit of hell. There was a, 
a friend that I have, I'll share just one quick story, that if he has such a beautiful heart. And honestly, if he'd have been raised in different circumstances, he'd have been an amazing pastor. But at two years old, his granddaddy started getting him drunk. And by age six, he was getting him high. In Matthew 18, 2, Luke 17, 6, it says that you're better off to tie a millstone around your neck and to cast yourself into the sea than to hurt one of these little ones. Well, that's what happened. But let me tell you something. God still had a plan for my friend. And he has brought so many people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. God uses us even when we're broken. It is never too late to heal the heart of a child, even if we're adults. A minute ago, I gave you some scripture about being the light in the darkness. And so as a daddy, I have all these kids, I'm their shield. And all I'm trying to do is to reflect the light of the Father into their life, right? And if I'm present, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have all the answers. But if I'm present, they too can be in the light. But as soon as I begin to step back, what happens? If I'm not present, they're in the darkness. And what is the enemy? Where does he work? He works in the darkness. You know what's amazing? Even when I'm, we're all broken. We all make mistakes. All I have to do is step back in and show them the light. There's a, a book that, I, that all you dads, you know, should have gotten when you came in this morning. This is a, a little, just quick read. You can read it in minutes, but somebody gave me this book when I was first, first became a father. And as John Eldridge, you have what it takes, but it kind of parallels a book that he wrote, just wild at heart. I don't know if any of you men have ever read that book, but it's an amazing book that changed my life. Um, if you know me, I'm intense, <laughs> and I've got a lot of fight in me, and my fight used to be misplaced, usually in the faces of all the wrong people, but, but that book showed me that it's okay to be a fighter. It's okay to be intense. God created us for a reason, to be wild at heart, and it really talks and, you know, about the, what, what the needs of a little boy and the needs of a girl are, you know, those little boys to know that they have what it takes and a little girl to know that she is lovely and that she's worth fighting for. And anyway, this is just a good reminder, and it's not just if you still have kids in the house. It's so good, which I'm gonna speak to more in a minute, if your children are also out of the house. They still need dads. Point number two, be a mentor. Apprenticeship is so good. You have so much to share. You know, every person on this planet is being mentored by somebody or something. It's impossible not to. Whatever voice is loudest in our life, whether that be TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, I don't even know them all anymore and I'm in technology. You know, if that's the voice that we're constantly on, then that's what we're listening to. And what happens is it begins to create separation between the voices we should be listening to. So as a parent, it is hard, I get it. You get home at the end of the day, you're tired, you wanna sit down, but you need to engage. And you need to say, how was your day? Even if they don't want to, engage. It's so important. When I was a young man, I began to want and pray for a mentor. In fact, there's some people in this room that have mentored me through many different seasons of my life and spoken truths into my life when I needed them most. But I would see these successful businessmen and you know, pastors that I had a lot of respect for, and I'm like, I want them to pick me. <laughs> you know? and, and then what happened, one morning in my quiet time, the Lord said, you have mentors all over you. And the first person he showed me was my dad. Your dad has jumped through flaming hoops for you. 
when you didn't deserve it. And I was like, you're right, he did. And if you don't know what I do, or my business, my technology business, I'm second generation. So Micro Four is the name of the company, four siblings, my dad, two uncles, and an aunt. And my dad was the first one when I was 14 years old. He brought me in. He wanted to give me a, a future. Well, mainly, I think he wanted to keep an eye on me because I was in trouble all the time. But that's how it started. And then I realized I had another uncle who began to teach me about hardware and how to build computers and networks. And, and I didn't realize, you know, that we were way ahead of the curve. We were building touchscreens. We were touchscreens way before touchscreens were cool. And then I had another uncle who began to teach me how to write code and develop software. My aunt, she would sit with me hour on end. This is before you could go out and you didn't have the best buys. We had to build our own computers, build the networks and ship them out. And she would sit with me hour after hour after hour, making sure these things got put together right, investing in me. When I was a teenager, I was a handful. And my granddaddy, almost every other week, and I would drive down there to San Angelo where they lived, and we would go fishing. And some of the most impactful and powerful days of my life were spoken to me by people who loved me. My granddaddy, we were fishing one day, and it was a beautiful day. I'm sure some of you can think of days like this. I had caught 15 fish before he caught one. By the time I had 30, he caught 15. You know, he let me have some skull. I puked over the side. It was a great day, you know? It was a great day. But when your kids leave the house, your job's not done. You know, a lot of these people I'm speaking about People that I respect, when they still speak to that, that question I have, do I have what it takes, it blesses me. My dad, when he says, good job, son, I'm proud of you, it speaks to the center of my heart. Moses, <clears throat> he, his life was broken into three parts, 40, 40, and 40. He lived to be 120 years old. The first 40 years, he was you know, in Egypt. The second 40 years, he was actually out in the wilderness, and he was becoming who God was going to create him to be to go back and save the Israelites, Right? So I'm gonna start here in a minute in Exodus 18. I just wanna set this up. So Moses, they've already, you know, seen all the plagues. All the Israelites have seen the plagues. You know, the, the Red Sea has been split. They are in the new wilderness over here trying to figure out how to do life. And the Israelites, man, they were whiny. I mean, whiny. All they could do was complain. So all Moses was doing almost all day, every day, was splitting up fights. Jethro, really the father figure in Moses' life, okay, had come and brought his wife and children, and, had, and first thing he did was honor him. What do guys need? We got, we got you know, egos, right? He honored him. Praise God for all that he has done and your obedience, right? But then Jethro's watching this, and here's what he has to say in Exodus 18, beginning in verse 18. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Just a few verses later, beginning in verse 24, so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. How many of you know that we all need counsel and that the voices that we respect still need to speak truth into the lives of those they can influence, right? You know, this imitate me is, is powerful. Your kids will imitate you. 
You know, we have our youngest child. I remember when she was about three years old or so, she's sitting in the back seat, you know, the car, and we're going down the street, and there's traffic, and she goes, come on, people, you know? I knew that uh, she'd heard that from their mama. <laughs> I had to talk with my wife when I got home. Your most important job as a parent is to lead them into a relationship with Jesus. It's the most important job that you have. Before Brandy and I get married, there's a pastor that, um, I, I, don't, I remember sitting at the service all alone. I don't remember why I was there, but I needed to be there. God knew that. And he began to speak of the prodigal son. He was the prodigal son. He was about 16 years old, and his dad, he'd never heard his dad swear. He thought his dad walked on water. And so one evening, his dad and some buddies were out in the backyard barbecuing or whatever else, didn't know that he was there. And then he you know, heard him cussing and cutting up and stuff like that. And what happened was that 16-year-old boy, his, his world was shattered because what had happened is he'd just seen two different sides of this man and he began to think, well, what else has he told me that's not true? And that included his faith. And he became, you know, the prodigal son, basically. And he became wild and everything else. Obviously, God redeemed him and restored all that stuff. And the point of that is that the fastest way that you can kill a witness is to not be real. And that's my third point, be real. Be real to your children. Let them see you go through life and all the struggles. When you're dealing with financial struggles at the age-appropriate ways, let them see what you're going through. Let them watch you, let God walk you through this season. When you're dealing with relationship issues, when you're having problems at your, in your business or in your profession and you don't know what to do, let them know, hey, I don't know what to do, but God does. Let them see you go through life with the Lord. You know, with five kids, you know, the first couple are kind of your guinea pigs, right? And so I remember, you know, with our, or with our oldest, you know, you'd see some behavior you want to you fix. And you're afraid if you don't fix it right now, she's going to grow up and be a serial killer, you know? <laughs> but when you get to kid number five, you know, you realize you have thousands of opportunities to mold that behavior. And, and you're more relaxed. And you're more, and Kate and I were talking about that this, this morning. But you're more relaxed. And you know that you have opportunity to speak truth into their lives. You know, perfect example, kid number one, you got the pasty in their mouth, you know, and it falls on the ground. You incinerate that sucker, you know? I mean, but kid number five comes along, you know, you pick that up, you dust it off, and you're like, microbes, you know? I'm pretty sure our fifth kid will turn out pretty good. But we're all dealing with struggles in life. We all do. We all right now have maybe a mountain in front of us that we don't know what to deal with. It could be relationships. It could be a prodigal child. It could be finances. You know, it could have something to do with our profession. I don't know, but we all have struggles that we're dealing with. And if you have children in the home and you see them going through something, it's even more difficult as a parent to watch that. Am I right? There's a, one of my favorite American heroes, and I'm gonna start wrapping it up here. But one of my favorite American heroes is Chuck Yeager. If you don't know who he was, he was the first man to break the sound barrier. This dude was a stud. The day before he broke the sound barrier, he'd fallen off a horse, he had a broken rib. He couldn't even get the cockpit closed. He didn't want them to know, otherwise they might not let him fly. And so he gets into that plane, and, and what's crazy about this is that even the scientists didn't know what was gonna happen when they broke, broke through the sound barrier. In fact, some of, the sound, some of the scientists said, when you break through, he's just gonna be vaporized. But this dude still got in that jet, strapped himself in that sucker and said, let's do this. And what would happen is right when he was getting up 
to the close to Mark. I mean, that sucker was shaking, it was shaking, it was shaking, it was shaking. And instead of quitting, what this man did, he said, I'm gonna put the power to it. And he did. And he busted through that sound barrier and on the other side, it was smooth. How many of you know that it's always roughest right before breakthrough? But when we quit, we just want the pain to stop. If we back off that throttle, let me tell you something, there's gonna be more pain ahead. But as parents, you got what it takes. I promise, you have a 100% chance of victory, of success. Just don't quit. I'm gonna ask the band to come out. And I wanna do something a little different if you'll just humor me. In Romans 10, 9, it says that if we confess with our tongue and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we are saved. Every person that's in this room, you're here for a reason. Either you were forced <laughs> or you came voluntarily, but more importantly, you're in this room or if you're joining us online, let me tell you something. Some of the most powerful encounters I've ever had before were on my living room floor. But I wanna make sure that none of us leave this room tonight or today, or whenever it is, until we have our hearts right. You know, we're gonna deal with struggle. We're gonna deal with difficulties and attacks from out there. But the most unutilized space in this entire church is right here, right here. In the last service, Buddy and Dia and Osteen were here, and they were sitting right over here. And on May 22nd, 1994, it was the most important day of my life. It's the day that I couldn't wait for the preacher to be quiet so that I could run to the front of that church, get on my knees, and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And the person who prayed with me was none other than Deanne Osteen. She's seen me walking with the Lord for the last 27 years. What a beautiful thing it is because I wouldn't have anything. I obviously wouldn't be standing here talking to you. I wouldn't have my beautiful wife. I would not have my five beautiful children. My life would be completely different without Christ. So I wanna go ahead and have the band come out and I wanna go ahead and I want you to stay in your seats for a minute. And I want you to just close your eyes and to bow your heads. I know I'm doing it a little different today, but here's what happens. We give the enemy way too much credit. We, we sit here and we say that the enemy can read our thoughts. Let me tell you something, he can't read your thoughts, but he can read your actions. And when we take bold action, whether that be raising our hands, standing up, coming forward before this altar, let me tell you what you're saying. You're saying, get behind me, Satan, you can't whoop me because the sovereign creator of the universe is my daddy. Get behind me. And I wanna see that happen today. I wanna see God begin to restore relationships, to repair hearts, to heal things that have been wounding us. If you don't know what to do and you're dealing with a circumstance where you just don't have the answers, well, that's okay. He does. So here's what I'm gonna ask. Keep your eyes closed. Bow your heads. This is just a moment between you and Jesus. Nobody else can take this away from you. This is your moment. If you wanna receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I want you to be bold and I want you to raise your hand. The most important decision of your life. It's good. It's good. Now, there's some of you here that maybe your heart is disconnected and you haven't been close to the Lord for a while. And it's time to say, Abba, Father, I'm sorry. That's all you gotta do is just turn around. He's been chasing after you this whole time. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I got you. I see. I see. 
So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray with you. If you've given your life to Christ, please don't leave with that. It says confess with your tongue. Let somebody know. But I'm gonna pray over you. And here's what I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come forward. When you look up here, a lot of times you only see two people. You can look up. You only see two couples up here. Let me tell you something. This altar, look at all the space that we have. I don't know about you, but I could be up here every single week. We all have issues and struggles that we're dealing with. And I think that today is the day that we come up here, we fall on our knees and we lay it before the Lord. Not let pride get in the way. If you got butterflies in your stomach right now and you're thinking, oh no, he's gonna make me stand up. That's probably you, you need to be up here. So I want you to stand for a minute, I wanna pray. Don't leave here today. If there's something burdening your heart, let us pray with you. This is an amazing church, a great community. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just speak to the hearts right now, that we would hear your voice louder than every other voice, that you would speak directly to us and then we would know that you see us, that you hear us, and that you are the redeemer and restorer of any problem that we have. Lord, don't let us sit here alone when there is help all around us, most importantly, from the sovereign creator. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. If you need to come forward, come forward. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the church at Bushland. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on Facebook and Instagram, by using the church at Bushland, and on Twitter by using at TCA Bushland.